Uh, let's see here. Okay, I am ready. Let's do the contemplative silence thing, and then Erica, it's all yours. Sounds good. How long are we supposed to be silent for? <laughs> About that long. Okay. Recording. I love you all. We love you too, Erica. <laughs> oh, God. You're all the worst. Now I hate you. Well, that's not fair. This is Erica in Edmonton, Shannon in Durham, and Chip in Durham. And you're listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 65, Zaha Doom. Third season finale spectacular! Yes, welcome back, and thank you for joining us once again as we spin through the five-year arc that makes up one of our favorite sci-fi shows, Babylon 5. And here we find ourselves at the end of the third season. The poo is directly hitting the fan, stuff is going down, (laughs) Captain Sheridan was falling down. As Ambassador Kosh said, if you go to Zahadoom, you will die. He may be a cryptic bastard, but it looks like this time he was right on the money. And to celebrate, we have, as our guest, Kosh's number one fan, our control group, <laughs> and my spouse, Stephen Shapansky. Welcome, Stephen. Hi there. Thank you very much for allowing <laughs> me to be on your show once again. It's, it's, a, it's a sad thing, because whenever I'm on, it's always at the end of a season, which always seems to be a momentous occasion. And also an indication that um, we are nearing, like we're over halfway done this voyage through Babylon 5. It's kind of sad in a way. It is yeah, a little true. bit. Mm-hmm. It is. Well, it's technically all downhill from here. <laughs> and speaking of, of endings, let's talk just for a moment about this episode as a season ender. Does this Does this wrap anything up or is it just all cliffhanger all the time? Is it a good culmination? Stephen, I want to I get your opinion on this because we haven't heard from you uh, in a while. Well, I think last episode you said, um, you mentioned, uh, someone mentioned, that's probably you, I think, Erica, mentioned like kind of like Game of Thrones where it's the penultimate episode of a season is kind of like has the big, huge event and then sort of the episode after that is is a little lower key. And I wouldn't say this is lower key, but certainly the big battle that you sort of expect to happen at the end of a season that sort of is talking about a big battle and a space war and stuff. You expect, okay, this will be the huge battle. But instead it was almost a little more personal. It was a much different episode of Babylon 5 than I'm than I'm used to. Um and so it it seemed kind of lower key, but it was it was much bigger in scope at the same time, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Chip and Shannon, how, how do you feel about this one as a as a culmination or a closer for this this incredibly exciting season? Yeah. If you look at the previous two season finales, season one ends with the assassination of the president and not knowing whether Garibaldi is going to live or die. Uh, season two ends with the equally dramatic death of Warren Keffer, <clears throat> um, <laughs> uh, but also the revel- the revelation of Kosh and the revelation that the news about the shadows is going to get out. Um, so both of those previous seasons sort of ended with a big thing 
but they left stuff they left stuff hanging out there but they sort of finished a story in a sense uh you didn't know what the repercussions were going to be this one is all cliffhanger all oh my god what's next if babylon 5 had been canceled after this one there would have been <laughs> oh a god. lot of people emulating sheridan <laughs> So, so this is this is kind of this is this is bigger. It's almost I I don't recall JMS saying anything about this at the time, but you never knew from year to year whether or not Babylon Five was going to get renewed. The previous episode, the previous season finales, they were sort of like this. You know, you press pause and you get a sense of, if not completion, at least a certain amount of uh, closure. Uh, there is nothing like that here, and it's like JMS just said, "F it, we're either going to finish or we're done." <laughs> I, I kind of agree. I, I was—I've been trying to remember, sort of television fashion of the time, whether cliffhangers at the end of a season. All of were... the actors had onions hanging from their belts. That was the fashion <laughs> of the time. Reference acknowledged. Yes, dear, um, but. Um, but seriously, I'm trying to remember when cliffhangers at the end of a season became a thing um, or, you know, whether it's gone up and down or if Babylon 5 was um, doing something very different or groundbreaking at the time. And I simply can't remember um, at the time whether this was a thing. I know there are other shows here and there that I think have since then done these season um, season ending cliffhangers Um and but I think most of those had, knew they were going to be renewed before they did that. Um, certainly not every single one. But it is as you, as you said, this is this is JMS th- making one giant roll on the dice for all the marbles. Um, and you know, yes, he he rolled a seven. We do have a season four coming. But uh, yeah, it was a major risk to take, and uh, I just I can't help but admire him for it. Yeah. Uh- Star Trek Next Generation had been doing cliffhangers for a while, um, ever since their third season. But it wasn't it wasn't a part of a serial story. You know, they'd uh, you know Riker would say Riker would say fire um, uh, with the uh, locutus of Borg staring at him, or you know all of these. They they had they had a season ending cliffhanger from third season on. But B five being the first show that really did the heavy arc stuff. Um, that made it a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking about the arc, let's uh, let's jump into this. If you were to, if you were to, for some reason, jump into Babylon Five with the last episode of season three, what you would need to know is that the Great Shadow War is now in full swing. The ancient shadows seem hell bent on destroying the younger races of the galaxy, despite the occasional grudging help of the also ancient Vorlons. Space Station Babylon 5 has evolved from a gathering place for various races into a rallying point for uniting pretty much everyone but the Centauri against these devastating shadows. Oh, and Captain Sheridan's presumed dead wife, Anna, just returned to catch him in his quarters in the middle of the night with his new girlfriend, Minbari Ambassador Delenn. And that brings us to Zahadoom, in which... 
It is revealed that Anna Sheridan really is back, but she's a tool of the shadows. Sheridan and Delenn love each other, but they're both bound by duty and some dodgy logic, so he heads off to Zahadum to try to bring down the shadows from the inside. He uses a white star to blow their city into oblivion while he's apparently still in it. Shadow ships surround Babylon 5, but return to Zahadum when Sheridan makes it go boom. Oh, and Mr. Garibaldi disappears apparently in a shadow vessel. So, as I said to Stephen when this episode ended, this is sort of the Empire Strikes Back season ender. It is quite a downer. So, Stephen, again, I want to start with you. How do you feel uh, about this? Like, when it ended, how did what was your emotional state sort of watching this happen? I was looking forward to it. Chip mentioned about how, you know, the previous season finale sort of wrapped things up. But this sort of, like, moves things off to a different direction. And, you know, this season sort of, like, established this big war between the shadows and everyone else. And so it's just, sort of, you know, I was wondering where they were going to go because I'm thinking they can't really prolong a big war storyline for three more, you know, for three years, essentially, and have it be interesting. So I'm, in, I'm intrigued. I have no idea where it's going from this point onward now because it's it's entirely new territory for Babylon 5. All the stories have sort of been contained on the space station and everyone's back there at the end of the episode and everything's all fine and everything. But now we are like, you know, I assume Sheridan's probably still alive, um, but somewhere in the depths of Zaha Doom and Garibaldi is probably going to be the Lano Calrissian and going to go after him at some point. And, and I, that's the only thing that I can sort of speculate on right now. It's, it's, it's a lot of unknowns right now, but it's exciting. Well, as always, it is really fun to hear your your speculations. And and yeah, I'm I'm remembering back to the first time that I saw this episode. And I remember just looking around the room after it was done and just sort of seeing the gobsmacked looks on my friends' faces and knowing that there was one on mine as well. Uh, And just being like, oh, my God, this is, you know, this is getting real. This is getting very, very real. Uh, It just it. I, I really enjoyed shadow dancing for all of the, the action and all the stuff that happened, but I felt like this episode was did a lot more heavy lifting emotionally, uh, which which was a fun way to end it because then you're sort of left with that heaviness at the end of the season and really, really being invested in it coming back. Thank God it came back. Um, <laughs> Spoilers. To, yeah. <laughs> yes, there's another season, guys. It's, it's back. <laughs> um but yeah, just being able to continue watching it uh, was a very, very important thing to me at that time, as it still is. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit about some of the sort of the emotional stuff that was happening. Uh, the whole idea of uh, Captain Sheridan's wife returning from the dead just as he's starting to move on. And I mean, there's there's a lot of heavy duty emotional stuff going on. How did you guys feel about Sheridan's reaction to Anna coming back and then his reaction to Delenn maybe or maybe not suspecting that that was a possibility. This is some of the best acting that Bruce Boxleitner has done or spoilers will do. I mean, this is just this is just a highlight of uh of the show. It's it's pitched perfectly because this is not a reaction that say William Shatner as Captain Kirk would have given. Um, he w- Sheridan is vulnerable. He is shocked. He's off his off his pins. He the 
the moment that really jumps out at me is when Anna draws close to him and he recoils as you know, mm-hmm. as if he's scared of her. Um, and uh, and that sense of vulnerability and raw pain carries over to his confrontation with Delin. It's even there uh, when he's uh, talking to uh, Franklin, who's hobbling around with a cane um, in med lab. He is hurt. He is hurt. And it's very rare for your dashing lead hero, um, your Heinleinian hero like like Sheridan, to be portrayed as vulnerable and damaged and off-center. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, I think JMS sets the tone perfectly right at the beginning because, you know, Sheridan's first words to Anna are essentially, you know, are essentially WTF, you know, what are you doing (laughs) here? Um, And, you know, Anna to turn it around and say, you know, that's, you know, an interesting way to greet your wife and Sheridan lays it out on the line. I thought you were dead. And he lays it out on the line to Franklin. It took me years to get over the fact that my wife had died. He had he had finally started to move on, um, both, you know, professionally and personally, able to make friends again, able to, you know, fall in love with Delenn. Um, And then suddenly to have her dropped back, to have Anna dropped back in the middle of this. Plus, she's not giving all the details. She is deliberately telling Sheridan, there's stuff I can't tell you until you do what I say. Um, And this time around, watching it with hindsight, it it struck me this time that Anna's character is extremely manipulative from the get-go. I'm not sure I realized that the first time I watched it, uh, that, you know, I was watching the issues develop during the episode. But this time, right out of the box, she is accusing Delenn of lying. Um, yes, that's true. But but still, you know, she brings up the accusation immediately. Um, and I think that's part of the reason that Sheridan is, is is not willing to embrace her immediately. I think he senses from the start that something is wrong. But then, you know, he goes through the steps to try and figure out what it is. I like that his skepticism matches the viewers because I didn't trust Anna for a second. Right from <laughs> right from the cliffhanger of the last episode. Says, no, she's not real. Come on, something's up. And I'm glad that they didn't sort of like say, nope, she is real. They did sort of try and, you know, paint that as a real thing with, with the medical tests and stuff. But I like that Sheridan didn't trust her at all. And was very skeptical, and and that made me feel better about my skepticism. Because if he if he was like, oh my god, you're back, and everyone's happy and lovey dovey, it wouldn't have been very believable at all. No, so I'm glad no. I'm glad that that was a a major plot point. No, and uh, contributing to that believability is him being very explicit about what you have to do when you've lost uh, a, a, a former lover or spouse. And it wasn't your idea. It wasn't a relationship that you walked away from. And then you embark upon a new relationship. Talking to Delin about how every time that he wanted to get close to her, wanted to think about being with her, he had to actively fight and destroy the, you know, and tamp down the memory of the woman he previously loved and had lost uh, because he didn't 
you know, he had to teach himself not to feel disloyal to Anna every time he contemplated getting closer to Delin. We didn't see a whole lot of that in text or probably even subtext this year, uh, in this season, but it's very real. Um, it probably had a lot of people nodding their heads who have been in similar uh, situations. And so the believability of how Sheridan and Delenn carry themselves through all of this is just hugely important to the success of this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, and it kind of also just breaks my heart that not only was the fact that he had to sort of get over Anna at the same time as he was learning to love Delenn, you know, is, was, like you said, possibly subtext, maybe not even that. And I think that there was a lot of their blooming relationship that was also, you know, subtext. It was becoming more and more textual. We've, we finally got the kiss and, and body language and stuff. But we hadn't had a lot in the way of on-screen conversations between these two lovers the kind of thing that you might expect in, you know, more a romance type film. They just, that doesn't really fit here in Babylon 5. So you don't get a lot of things made explicitly textual here. And the first time that we actually see these characters discussing their feelings for each other, they're, they're declaring their love as they're being torn apart by this, this awful thing that has happened. The first time we hear Sheridan say the word love, it's, it's, it is as he is basically giving Delenn a dressing down for for not trusting him to make his own choices, and and then she you know she declares his love for him as as he is leaving and he turns around and walks away. It's just it, it is heartbreaking. Did did you guys? Did, is it just because I'm such a, a cuckoo shipper that that scene <laughs> hit me in the heart, or or do you guys think that that was also well done? It hit me in the heart as a fellow shipper, but. I also could appreciate Sheridan's side of it. Uh, The fact that, you know, this is yet another point where Delenn has withheld information. And this time, there's not really a good reason behind it other than, like she said, she and Kosh trying to keep Sheridan from going to Zaha Doom. Um, When they held back about the shadows, it was because they knew they needed to build up their own military strength before they started um, letting the news get out. With uh, the the new White Star fleet, again, if it's not ready... You know, there's not necessarily a reason to to share it with Sheridan until they know it's ready to go, and this is a firm resource that he can count on. This time, not only was the only reason they did it to take away Sheridan's agency, it's also really personal. I mean, this is his wife, and he had no idea that the po- that it was even possible that she could still be alive after the mess with Morden. You know, so yes, it was hurting me terribly, but I could also totally understand why Sheridan kept walking. Yeah, I think that that made it even more uh, more painful to watch because it was so realistic, so very believable. Um, it's just ouch. Yeah, um, I mean, the, and how can I trust what you? How can I trust you again? Yep. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a that's a, that's mm-hmm. a yeah, and it, it casts a lot of doubt on on. On not only on on Delan, but also the Nimbari. You know, they're 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 a very secretive race. Uh, I think when, when it, but probably for what they feel is the greater good. But you know, it it just sort of like then you start like questioning everything. Like, what is this bizarre mating ritual where you get to watch me for three days sleep? <laughs> what happens when I wake up? Is my yeah. wallet going to be still there? You know. That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, broken snow globe, though, all over the floor. Um, yeah. That's true. Yep. Yeah, thanks for that. It was an heirloom, but that's a problem. Yep. <laughs> oh, that, that, wait a minute. Yeah, that's um, a, that's, I, you I know agree. what? That, yeah, that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You've just ruined this episode for me. Realism is all thrown out the window because none of them were picking their feet carefully around the floor. <laughs> dodging I did shards notice of that. It I did notice glass, that. Space glass in the 21st, <laughs> second, third century. Space glass is all the rage, and you don't break your. It's fine. It's a. Fun. Yeah, that did stand out to me. Um, shoot, I was going to say something, and now I think I've lost it. <laughs> now you're thinking about <laughs> space glass. <laughs> well, if it comes up again, shoot. feel free to just uh, just break in with it. Um, so to But speak. I, I actually want to talk about. Let's talk about Sheridan's decision to go to Zaha Doom. I personally feel like his logic is a little bit just script convenience because I don't understand how hearing Delenn in the future say, do not go to Zaha Doom after Centauri Prime has been, you know, burned out or bombed or whatever it was that happened to it. I don't understand why he would think that going to Zaha Doom would change that because it seems to me that she says don't go to Hazahadoom my my impression is that he went and he paid a terrible price so I, I don't know I, what do you guys think am I am I just being extra picky about time travel stuff it maybe seemed a, a little convenient like a little bit of a stretch like you know he sort of like associated everything that he saw in one vision or one trip to the future as being entirely related you know well, if you if you remember the conversation that he well, had, well, he's not with, a time lord. Well, it's true. That's <laughs> it's true. If you remember the conversation he had with Future Londo, oh, you f- you you defeated your enemies all right, but you didn't clean up the mess afterward or whatever. I I, mm-hmm. I associate that with the uh, part of uh, Sheridan's logic th- that if Sheridan didn't somehow finish the job, that he could avoid he could avoid the fall of Centauri Prime. Um, and that maybe, maybe, maybe Delin had convinced him not to go to Zahadum, and that's how this all fell down. Ultimately, I don't think it's necessary to the story. I think that mm-hmm. it would have possibly been sufficient to, you know, I've got to find out what happened to Anna. You know, I've got to find out more about the shadows. I know it's a trap, but, uh, you know. I think that that could have been papered over, but I suppose that JMS felt like he needed to give at least the veneer of a reason outside of himself for going alone to Zahadun. Mm-hmm. He needed to sort that. of show the same kind of lack of trust or, or certain secrecy, I suppose, that Delenn showed to him. You know, mm-hmm. I think he sort of like responded in the same way, just to sort of like, I, you know, Recording the message so that he can tell her what he really feels, but he had to do that secretly, basically, you know, almost as sort of, um, I don't know, it just, it just sort of mirrored the lens approach to certain secrets that uh, she had towards Sheridan, I thought. Yeah, Yeah. I can see that. I I also think it's somewhat reflective in Sheridan's character of the way he thinks tactically about, you know, trying to do things, trying to win battles. You know, in the past, he's come up with an idea, but he's been part of a ship and they are putting the entire ship at risk, um, blowing up the Starkiller battle uh, with the Mimbari, where they managed to lure uh, the Mimbari ship into the asteroid belt with the mine with the mines ready to go. 
um, there he, you know, sort of went through with the crew. It's like, you know, okay, can we can do this? We can maybe take this out. It's a risk. Um, he's done that with um, battles with the shadows, but he's also wanted to be on the front line. We've had a previous scenes where they're planning strategies and the rest of the war council has had to say, no, <laughs> wait a minute, you're not going in there without backup. Um, I think that's one of the reasons he doesn't tell anybody once he makes the decision. If I go to Zaha Doom, but if I do it on my terms, with my plan, I've got a chance of either A, finding out what's going on and finding a peaceable solution to this mess, or B, if it's a trap and it's as bad as I think, I've got a, you know, couple of nuclear warheads on a white star ready to go. So um, it it feels very in character for me, for Sheridan to... Given all of the information from Franklin about Anna, that she's got the same implants as uh, the other telepaths that they found that were uh, contaminated by the shadows to uh, make this plan, grab a couple of convenient nukes uh, yep. that Jakar um, <laughs> brought in and uh, and take Man, off. And those nu- nukes were just lying around there, you know, no worries <laughs> about radiation spillage or anything like that. They're just, you know. Like mm-hmm. over o- over They've here, got better since... shielding in that century. Hmm. Yeah, or the, or it's yeah. the game. It, it's the the game. Their technology has better shielding. Yep, it's very different. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose when it comes down to it, what we know about Captain Sheridan is that he is a practical man, and probably no futuristic vision is going to change his mind in the first place if he feels like this is a thing that he needs to do. So I I, I almost think that maybe it was too much having him relate it to to that that bit of information that he got just simply because I feel like it's backwards from from what he was being told uh, and what he would naturally think but but he gets there he does decide to go and you know ostensibly gets the truth behind what the shadows are, are doing and why they're doing or what, what they say doing. is the truth <laughs> yes ostensibly um, so do you think that Justin makes a convincing argument as is anybody actually jumping on the shadow train at this at this point you know conflict builds, builds stronger characters well, uh, I'm curious. I'm curious what uh, Stephen thinks about this, actually, because uh, I've been sort of sitting on the edge of my seat, waiting for Stephen to ask the question, as reported in our little Stephen check-ins. What are the shadows up to? Are they just the big bad, or do they actually have an agenda? Um, or, and we get to that moment in the previous episode where Sheridan says, "Well, I, I don't know what they want, but..." So I'm I'm kind of curious, Stephen, as to, you know, how you feel about the shadows as a bad guy now that they've at least presented something of a rationale for their behavior. Well, first off, I want to say that, you know, shadows is not their real name because it's just <laughs> what humans call them. Uh, so they can be called anything. So I'd like to report the uh, the reinstation re re uh, instatement of <laughs> Space Mob is the official name for these creatures. Okay. <laughs> Uh, as good as Pointing. good as any. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, and we saw two space monsters, you know, and in the, the messenger who talked to Londo. And of course, we saw um, Morden again. So, so the space monster clearly all with us. I, I was actually quite pleased because, you know, as I said earlier about the, uh, you know, the the big giant war. It just it, it if they did it wrong, it would have just been bad guy shadows versus good guy earthlings, and then we see how it plays out. Uh, but this way, it, it I like the you know sort of validating so to speak uh the intentions and um motives of 
of the villains of the piece, so to speak. And you sort so when you sort of see it from their point of view, you think, wow, maybe you know what? It's it's wrong what they're doing, but that is their place in the universe, I guess. And they're not doing anything out of malice necessarily. They're doing it to sort of, you know, further the universe, so to speak. I'm not sure if I believe it or not. Uh, and there might be more to their plan than, than what we're finding out. But I, I do like it was, it was you know, because until now we've only seen these weird, dark, scary 1996 CG aliens and ships. And so, you know, they've just been sort of a lingering menace. And we haven't actually had any background as to what makes them that way to us. So I, I, I was very appreciative of the fact that they sort of tried to explain them away that way. Any surprises on your end about their accusations to the Vorlons? Given that you're the number one fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'll give this for the the space mob. At least they're, you know, a little more forthright and um, less subtle, uh, less passive aggressive than the Vorlons are. <laughs> you know, at least, at, least, at least you don't have to beat around the bush to what they actually want to do as opposed to the Vorlons. I find it intriguing that the Vorlons and the, and the space mob are the ones who are are at war all this time and uh and it's the vorlons who are sort of you know and honestly it's it's you know it helps build the case because you know the vorlons and and delenn have sort of been keeping secrets from sheridan all this time and you start to think that maybe the space mob are actually the ones who are right about this and maybe it's maybe it is the are the vorlons who are are the are the evil ones here in this point at least certainly the uh the mischievous ones um until of course we we hear um um, God, I forgot his name. I was calling him Kosh. Kosh. Uh, Kosh uh, have his Obi-Wan Kenobi moment and telling uh, Sheridan to jump at the right time um, mm-hmm. at the end. So, yeah. Yeah, we get Kosh uh, twice, actually. We have have him earlier. We actually see old old Kosh. Okay. Old, original Kosh uh, right. in the mirror behind Sheridan with his, his voice saying, once again, if you go to Zaha Doom, you will die. And, and we hear him uh, at, at the end. I mean, I think that this is Kosh at his most, um, at his least cryptic. I mean, if you go to Zaha Doom, you will die. That's pretty, that's, that's laying it out there. And I mean, jump, you, it, how do you interpret that two different ways? So how did, how did you feel, Stephen, about Kosh? actually being kind of straightforward that was it was actually handy because i would have like you know like you know the dove knows when to fly or something <laughs> stupid like that and he'd be sitting there confused going what what does that what does that mean i don't know what's going on just tell it's so, the fact that he's actually like you know urgent text message from kosh jump comma now exclamation point um, it was it was it was interesting because he's never been like you said he's he's rarely been that overt. Um, so I was pleased. Perhaps it's a perhaps it's a you know and and new Kosh is like even more you know he's basically he basically showed up on day one went into his office and we literally have never seen him since. Um, so for him to pop out at that moment was it was it old Kosh's voice? I mean I I, I remember so little of of new Kosh. Yeah, it's the. I, it's the it same voice actor. Voice. It's the same voice actor for uh, both Koshes. Okay, um, but the, just, the, just the synthesizer is a little different. Yeah, it's yeah. differently. I, I couldn't tell if it was old Kosh or new Kosh actually saying jump now, but I imagine it's probably new Kosh. No, it was, it was old Kosh. It was old Kosh. Okay. <laughs> I think so. I mean, that's what it sounded like to me. And I think the fact that we saw old Kosh speaking to him, you know, in the mirror... Uh, mm-hmm. Earlier in the episode, that that you know leads me to believe that it is the same Kosh that was speaking, you know, to him in his head. 
So I will go back to a previous episode um, and uh, the conversation between Lita Alexander. You remember her, the telepath? And uh, I have no memory of this one. <laughs> yeah. And no, and Newkosh, where um, uh, Lita says, you know, I, I told you I didn't have a piece of Kosh with me when he when when he died, but I think somebody else might have. Um, mm -hmm. So that oh. that moment did happen earlier this season. Yep. And this is not isn't the first time that we've heard uh, original Kosh talking to Sheridan in his head. So there's there is precedent for mm -hmm. for it being him. <sighs> is there is there anything else that you guys want to cover about uh, the the Zahadoom part of Zahadoom and you know Shadow War all that kind of stuff before we move on to a few other little things. Well, Shannon mentioned uh, that Sheridan decided to do this and without telling anybody, there was one person that he did tell. Uh, and that was a great, great oh, little right. scene in Sheridan's right. office with one Michael Garibaldi. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that slipped my mind just now. I apologize. My favorite actor yeah. in Babylon 5. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. How did how did you like that? Uh, oh, I loved it. Gar mm -hmm. I loved that scene. I, lo I, 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 you know, I, I think you mentioned it on my behalf in episodes past that um, it was, there was a great Garibaldi performance a few episodes ago. Now, the reason I think that is is because, you know, the the character of Garibaldi itself is probably very close to what Jerry Doyle is. You know, there's there's not much of a leap to go from, you know, he's just a guy looking to get things done kind of thing. And that's exactly what Garibaldi is. But he's he is kind of like the Harrison Ford, the Han Solo of the Babylon 5 universe that he sort of keeps <laughs> it real, so to speak. You think he's a carpenter? And he might be a carpenter or a carpenter's. He's not a carpenter's son. Um, but he might be a he might be a carpenter. That'd be funny. Oh, imagine if that if Garibaldi becomes a savior of the human race at the end of season five. Um, laugh at me all you like in the spoiler section. Uh, Don't worry. No, we will. I I, I, just, I loved the way um, Jerry Doyle played that. You know, he just. He's just excellent in in every scene. He's getting more and more good scenes like this too to do and i just like his doubt that he had um with him and sort of you know reluctance and and you know just he just pitched it perfectly it was a great scene and, and i love that because we didn't know like he didn't give any hints as to what sheridan was asking but we could tell just by the severity of how he was reacting garibaldi was reacting that we this knew was it was big, big. Yeah, yeah it was really big and it was all, you know, Garibaldi, Jerry Doyle had to basically carry that whole scene because of that. And so we knew it was something big was happening just by the way that he was reacting to it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then speaking of Mr. Garibaldi, we lose him at the end of the episode, which that is something that, again, I don't always remember stuff happening on Babylon 5. And yeah, so that kind of struck, caught me by surprise. We see him in his star fury uh, just as the shadows are leaving. And I almost didn't even catch the fact that something was, you know, a big shadow, a shadow of what we find out later is a shadow ship. Uh, shadow is a tough word to use <laughs> with its actual meaning. Hence, um, space mob, it's right there for you. Right. Okay. Yes. So a, a, a shadow falls over his star fury and he looks like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And I think probably the first time that I saw it, and even a little bit this time, I did, it didn't, so much other stuff was happening and I knew the right. shadows were disappearing that it didn't even uh, occur to me that anything was actually happening to Garibaldi. I thought he was just intimidated because there was a ship passing over him as it was leaving and, and zapping itself away. So when, uh, so when we find find out later in the episode that there's one star fury missing and that it's mr garibaldi i was just like oh 
oh, oh my. Um, yeah, so, it, like, it's really interesting how because you've got the massive cliff, cliffhanger of, of Sheridan's strike on Zaha Doom and him jumping that, like you said, it almost gets lost even you know, even though it's right there, you know, and presented to us, it's, it feels like it almost gets lost. And it's almost an afterthought. Oh, by the way, the shadows appear to have kidnapped Garibaldi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we definitely see his star fury in the middle of a shadow ship or a star fury. And we are explicitly mm-hmm. told that there's only yeah. one missing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think we'll have more to say about that in the spoiler section. <laughs> I compared it to like a marshmallow being stuck in a jello salad. That's kind of basically what Garibaldi's... <laughs> yes. Star Fury was. (laughs) And 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 with that, with his his disappearance, we do get a bit of you know, we have that that climactic moment of of Sheridan jumping and then and then the the shadow ships leaving. And then we get a bit of falling action. Everything sort of quiets down and we get uh, a voiceover at the end of the season from from Jakar and I want to know Chip did this irritate you how did you feel about this voiceover well we have two voiceovers uh we have the opening one mm-hmm. from uh Delin and we have the closing one from Jakar and I much True. prefer the Jakar voiceover the Delin voiceover had to cover a lot of ground because Again, this is syndicated television in the mid 90s so you've got to act like every episode is uh somebody's first so you get the so you get Mm -hmm. the um you get the recap of who anna is and uh you get the recap of the stuff in zaha doom with the black and white flashback which i i really like when they do that um um, Mm -hmm. but yeah i thought that was like kind of just the right amount of information personally but i I think it it was it I'm I'm still so, sort of iffy about it because it's sort of a combination of exposition and humans have a saying, Minbari have a saying. That's a that's just that's mm-hmm. that's a little too overwrought for me. Whereas at the end, I mostly like the Jakar uh, soliloquy and the the you know I mean and he's he's trotting out sayings from uh, the prophet Jaquan. And how and and that that last line about the future is always born in pain, uh, which this has been a very painful episode. Uh, so I think it's it's a nice coda to the episode. It's a very unsettling episode. It's a very it, it leaves you with this incomplete feeling. And fans at the time would probably have been beside themselves wondering if the show was going to get renewed. I need to go back and look at whether this actually aired at the end of season three or if the goofy stuff that the syndicators were doing meant that this actually got held in the very next week we had episode one of season four and everybody knew that it was going to be <laughs> renewed. Um, but it, I like the well, comments on the lurkers guide suggest possibly there was a gap. Um, there was there were quotes of I hate you, which uh, James <laughs> took as a compliment. <laughs> I, I will point out that I, I have been curious as to the uh, the the broadcast scheduling. I'm not, this derails everything that Chip is talking about the soliloquy at the end. But I do want to point out that I was very intrigued that uh, War Without End basically was kind of the season finale broadcast wise, and that but then. That aired on May 20th, 1996. And then Walk About Grey 17 is Missing in the last three episodes aired in October, like uh, September mm-hmm. throughout the end of October. Almost and exactly then, 20 years. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One week after Zaha Doom, uh, the series season four premiere aired. Yep. So okay. there was no gap wow. between these All two right. episodes of the original broadcast. Anyway. 
which I mean, as as awful as that gap must have been after War Without End, I mean, what a relief to be able to just jump to the next episode uh, of season uh, episode one of, of season four. Uh, just you know, kind of the way that we'll do it. Only you know, two weeks for us because, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it is it is quite a. I mean, it's not. Sometimes you get a series cliffhanger, series-ending cliffhanger, where it it would be like the moment that Sheridan jumps and the White Star crashes, and boom, that's it. I, I, I do appreciate that they gave us a little bit of falling action to sort of give us the reactions from people on uh, on the Babylon 5 side. And yeah, it, it, it did feel like it was a nice sort of closing moment to send us out of season three and on into season four. Mm-hmm. And it was a great monologue too, by the way, just to get back on that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 at the beginning, I remember saying that uh, I thought Londo and uh, Jakar were sort of the comedy aliens. And then um, there's been some <laughs> great performances from Andreas Katsoulis over, over the years. And, and he just has that gravitas to sort of give those kind of monologues that really mean something. So I quite listen, quite enjoyed listening to that. Mm-hmm. Well, Stephen, while you're while you're on this, we can kind of do a little Stephen check in in person. Is there anything else that you want to mention about this or or even the rest of the season? Well, um, I will point out this episode. I enjoyed the direction, by the way, Adam Nimoy, who I think directed one or two episodes previous to this, passing uh, through Gethsemane. There we go. Ah, with the yes. monks. Mm-hmm. Um, that was good. This was good. I, I like the way he directed the scenes between Delenn and Sheridan, and that they're standing on complete opposite sides of the room. Um, and then, you know, I, I like how the, the scene ends where the camera pulls out and it's just this, you know, crying Delenn sitting on a bench in the middle of this big, giant, empty room. I thought that really was a nice, nicely directed scene in that regard. Uh, I noticed uh, an homage, I assume, uh, probably to, to the books or, or, or perhaps just the imagination of one who's read The Lord of the Rings. But Zaha Doom, of course is based on Khazad-dûm, and I, I equated Sheridan's fall as he jumps very much to uh, Gandalf's fall as he's fighting the Balrog. Um, yes, I, that... I, mm. I do not think that... Yeah, that's definitely a connection, I think. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Laugh at me in spoiler space if that's off. Um, <laughs> uh, but overall, uh, I think I gave my opinions, not live on the episode, but I remember someone speaking for me, probably you, Erica. Um, <laughs> that season three right from the get-go felt like a different tv show like just a mature confident established show after sort of finding their feet for the first couple seasons and i think this this whole season was just you know apart from one or two little hiccups is there are there always is in a 22 episode season um was strong clearly my favorite so far to date with um i think you know i can't what, what did I say is my favorite episode? Did I say one is my favorite episode? You've oh, only told me what totally your least TKO. favorites are. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, it, no, it was it was the uh, the Schindler's List episode. Uh, uh, sick Transit sick, Beer. The worst yeah, one That ever. was your least favorite. Mm-hmm. That one is the worst. Uh, and that happened in the season of the Italy. I have a question, though, uh, because we don't actually see Londo leave. He sort of says, why should I leave? Why should, and then, But then that's actually the last scene. I don't know if Londo actually left the space station. That was kind of left unclear and also who survives the shootout that we never see we just see that sheridan has a has a bloody face after it does he you know he obviously didn't kill anna he might have mm-hmm. killed justin he might have killed the, the uh, space mob that came in behind him and uh, who knows about 
Mr. Space Mob himself. <laughs> um, so there's some unanswered questions there that I won't ask for answers here because that would be spoilery, I guess. Um, but no, the whole season was 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 quite superb. A, a big step up in like technology, like the space battle that we saw in Shadow Dancing. Mm-hmm. Unimaginable two two years previous to this, you know, to actually base a whole episode, uh, the the climactic piece of an episode on on. 1996 technology, but it actually looked pretty good. Um, well directed, Mike Vehar, of course, Kim Friedman um, was excellent in her one episode only. Yeah. Damn it! Um, but I look forward <laughs> to watching all of her Deep Space Nine episodes when we get to that. So, yes, very pleased with the season. Very pleased indeed. Hooray! Well, anything else from uh, from you guys, Chip or Shannon, before we toddle off into spoiler space? I've got a quick smorgasbord here. Um, I right. did like Yum. the Council of the Evil League of Evil on Zaha Doom. Um, uh, Jeff Corey Reference as Justin, the evil, the the, the evil, um, evil Mark Twain lookalike. Yeah, um, he, I thought I thought that he was good. I thought he was a good non traditional. <laughs> He he could have come across as the big bad. I think you would have had to required a different actor for that sort of thing. But for someone describing himself as just the middleman, not really the guy in charge, mm-hmm. you know, I thought this grandfatherly figure was just perfectly appropriate. Um, I thought Melissa Gilbert was a good, did a good job as Anna Sheridan, and I think she did a better job than the person who was originally cast as Anna in season two uh, would have done. And I did like that we got a bit of a reshoot of the mm-hmm. uh, of the uh, video message uh, piece uh, yes. there. And for those of you who were paying attention, if you believe the shadows, we also got the secret origin of telepaths. Right. That's true. Uh, I love that line. Why do you think that telepaths only started showing up on Earth in the last hundred years? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just, uh, it's just, uh, it's interesting. I think it's mm-hmm. very interesting. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, JMS, there's some very strong weaving in of threads in this episode, such as that one, bringing in the telepath connection, giving us a a plausible sounding reason for the shadows. Uh, if it, we don't know if it's true, um, because you know most of what we've seen from the shadows has been manipulative from the get go, so we don't know if we can trust them. There's a couple of things that I think were a little less elegant, um, but you know JMS has been writing this entire season. I mean, there's going to mm-hmm. be things that aren't quite as good. The logic leap of Sheridan, I think, could be considered as one. Um, I, he had, of course, to throw in uh, the reason they couldn't use the draw ex machina uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, oh, they're jamming and we can't use draws great machine on Epsilon because they're jamming it. Um, <laughs> I, and, and, and I keep I keep coming back to, you know, you've got perfectly good story logic there if you want it. All we've seen of Epsilon 3 to this point is it's been doing stuff aside from opening the space warp. It's been doing stuff sort of local to Epsilon mm-hmm. 3. So I don't know that there's any real, you know, just we're too far away from Epsilon 3 to help, for them to help us with this would have been just um, fine. I don't know. I mean, if Drawl can project himself to, you know, a hologram to walk around on the station and that sort of thing, I, I don't buy that. I'm, but JMS obviously had to come up with a reason that they couldn't call on Epsilon 3 for any of the folks who have, you know, minds like computers for continuity and be going like, hey, wait a minute, why can't? 
you know, why can't they help with this mess? Um, you know, it's also a bit of a leap to wonder, you know, you can consider they just got through this massive battle. Of course, you know, ships are being repaired. And that's why there's not that there's nobody on patrol around the station at this time. But still. Oh, um, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, we don't really see any ships circling, circling, certainly not when the shadows arrive. I don't remember if the opening shot has anything or not either. Um, I don't remember. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of things like that. But, you know, those are small things compared to the huge things of, yes, you know, Melissa Gilbert's performance um, coming in and Sheridan's performance, as we said, Delenn's performance. I mean, she's not there as much, but the scene she's in, she makes this huge impact. I mean, when she is watching Sheridan's video and he's telling her, you know, okay, yes, I love you, but this is probably goodbye and I'll never see you again. And she just sort of crumples to the floor at that. Uh, that was a point that just had, you know, my heart wrenching for her at that point without needing mm-hmm. to look at Sheridan's side or anything like that. That was just a huge bolt of emotion. Here, here. All right. Well, before I assign homework for next time, Stephen, would you like to tell people where they can find you on the internet talking about things other than sci-fi from the 90s? Uh, yes, you can find me uh, at Legopolis on Twitter, where I tweet about things sometimes. Uh, and also, I'm on podcasts, believe it or not. I'm on Radio Free Scarrow at Radio Free Scarrow. Never heard of uh, it. I know, right? Um <laughs> And where Chip has been what, on 500 it, episodes? Uh, 552 <laughs> as of recording tomorrow. Oh, dear God. Um, also, The Memory Cheats, which is on hiatus, of course, until uh, the Stephen Moffat era comes to an end, which I'm sure you're looking forward to, Shannon. Uh, Just a bit. <laughs> and, of course, Lazy Doctor Who, which my wife here, Erica, and I do. <laughs> and I also do a hockey podcast called Hockey Feels. So lots of busy things to keep me busy during the winter months. Right. Well, one more thing to keep you busy was homework for next time. Uh, Please, everybody, it's season four, episode one, The Hour of the Wolf. And Shannon will get us started on the fourth year of Babylon 5. Stephen, I know you are very excited to see next season's opening credit sequence. Yep. Very, very excited. This is probably probably more excited than seeing the actual episode. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So until then, everybody listening, thank you. Please let us know what you think about this season and this episode on our spoiler-free threads at b5audioguide.com. Or you can dip into these spoiler-friendly threads and talk about what happens after this little lull that Jakar describes. And of course, you can also find us at b5audioguide on Twitter and Tumblr. And now it is time to bid a fond farewell to any of you who are staying spoiler-free. And that includes you, Stephen. Aww. Bye, Stephen. Stay mellow yeah. doing whatever the mm-hmm. hell you do in Monticello. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> nice work, Jeff. Nice work. Uh, yes. Stephen, now it is time for you to jump into a pit because we are about to make like a white star through a dome and crash through a jump gate straight into spoiler space. Okay. Now that he's gone, we can get down Phew. to business. We don't have to worry about saying anything spoilery. And I had notes that I wanted to to talk about. But before I do that, I just want to say how hilarious it is to hear Stephen opine about what he thinks might be happening. His his thought about Garibaldi, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Linda oh my God. Oh, it my. <laughs> oh, yeah. Garibaldi to the rescue. Garibaldi. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. 
Not yet. <laughs> so far off the mark. Mm. Oh, so yeah. so that was one moment that Shannon and I had when we were watching this. When I was like, you know, this is the last moment, the last moment that Sheridan and Garibaldi will be looking at each other with undamaged eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Oh, that's I, I hadn't actually thought about that, and and knowing that this last, uh, the last sequence, the, the last two sequences that we have with them is that that first amazing one in the office, and then even just the, the short scene of them talking about the weather and leaving. I mean, I was I was very specifically watching Jerry Doyle's eyes because I wanted to see if he was staring at Sheridan. Or if he looked over to Anna and gave her some sort of a, a glare or another look. But no, Jerry Doyle's eyes stay firmly fixed on Bruce Boxleitner in both shots. In the, the shot, you know, that's on him and the, the two or three shot uh, of, of the three of them. So, I mean, you really get sort of this, you know, good friend making very intense eye contact with, with a pal who he thinks he's never going to see again in a way he never does because the Garibaldi mm-hmm. that we see later is not the same person because so much has been done to him. It's, it's really right. heartbreaking. And I wonder how, I really wonder how Stephen is going to react to this shift in, in Garibaldi's character and sort of the arc that he goes through because he really, really likes him so much. And I think I also quite liked Garibaldi as a character my first time through. And I hate... <laughs> the whole Garibaldi arc <laughs> that is to, to come. Yeah. And I just, I kind of, I don't want to experience that awful feeling through the eyes of my spouse. So I hope he doesn't uh, experience it. Like, I, I hope he doesn't have the same gut reaction that I do to it, yeah. but I suspect he will. Yeah, th- this brings me back to what I think I wanted to say pre-spoiler, um, that how JMS essentially, in much of Babylon 5, he is very even-handed in a lot of ways in the overall arcs about whose, you know, whose intentions are good, whose intentions are ill. We have seen how the people that are somewhat periphery, the ambassadors, we've seen how Londo has gone from, you know, buffoon to almost supervillain, and yet even as he is standing in the place he wanted to be, we get that tiny little shot with him and Veer. He doesn't want this promotion because, you know, he knows that it's going to limit uh, what he can do. Um, we have, you know, the shadows pointing out that the Vorlons are being just as manipulative. And yes, we've known the Vorlons are cagey and, and irritating, but until now, I don't think we've seen quite as much, or until maybe Nukash showed up, um, we haven't seen as much of a potential for the Vorlons to be evil or doing things that we would perceive as evil. Here, we've got one of our main characters, Garibaldi, is going to have just as transformative a character arc. I mean, it is done to him mm-hmm. by the Psycor, but still... You know, somebody that we have trusted and that we have grown to really love as a character is going to go through this massive, massive trauma, and it's going to leave him changed forever, even though he does get back eventually to a good place. I mean, that's the thing that's going to hold me through this rewatch is remembering eventually, eventually, it takes years and years, but eventually he gets back to a a good place. Yeah, but but, but never, but never... But forever damaged, forever damaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to be under in the influence of Psycor all the way up to just about the end of the season. 
he's going to be kind of broken about that. He's going to take a new job as the future president's uh, security guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Counter, um, I forget. Uh, basically, the his, he's going to be CIA for uh, the Inter- Interstellar Alliance. Mm-hmm. But the experience that he's just had, that, that he's about to have, combined with the realization that he can't do anything about it to Bester, is going to drive him back into the bottle. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be interesting to watch Jerry Doyle do all of this over the next uh, couple of years with a with a more careful eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm drained emotionally now just thinking about it. Ugh. Well, let's talk about something more cheerful. So Sheridan's dead. Sort of. <laughs> joke, apparently. Joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's, yeah, he's falling. That was and where Stephen we... was kind of right on the money with, uh, mm-hmm. with the Gandalf reference. Totally. And how did with I not Lorien. put that together? Mm-hmm. Oh, he'll, Stephen will pick up on that probably right away yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the idea I mean, that... That, is, that is where Gandalf goes first after i don't know this isn't a lord of the rings podcast so i suppose that's not important (laughs) but yes he will land and he will meet lorian what do you guys are you excited to see that or um not excited so much as curious um i just some of the things about that particular sequence of events always kind of irritated me slightly i think that's the closest for me that jms drifts into not just acknowledging there's a deus ex machina that could be used, but actually just going right through. It's like, you know, here's this all-powerful first one, um, and he's going to make Sheridan just, like, re-examine all of, you know, all of his life and why he should live and all of these things. Um, that That's the closest thing to me that feels like, you know, hey, poof magic in the Babylon mm-hmm. 5 universe. So I'll be paying attention to see if I still feel that way. Space Yoda. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I guess technically Yoda space. is space anyway. Yeah, but. right. <laughs> Tall Yoda. Yeah, you know, Shannon, thank you for articulating that so well, because I think I have always sort of had kind of a an itchy feeling inside when I whenever I think about Lorian in that part of the story. And I think that, that that explains why. Because, you know, there's definitely some degree of, of prop, prophecy and mysticism and, and that sort of thing in Babylon 5. But I, up until the Lorian arc, it's very much kind of on the periphery and serves to be an interesting sort of side dish. But I, I feel like Lorian is kind of taking that sort of thing and putting it on center stage. And I just don't quite feel comfortable with that as much. Yeah, Chip, where do you I'm, fall on this? Okay. Um, I'm more positive about it. I think that the best part about the Lorian, the Lorian introduction for me is that brief, that brief shot that we get of what's really going on in that pit. Um, you know, we have mm-hmm. the image of Sheridan talking to this gangly, uh, bug-eyed alien, um, and then Sheridan just sort of has this shudder, and he's just floating, and he's being held by this energy being, of sort of, which is what Lorian really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, due to the practicalities of production and everything else, you've got a prosthetic-clad actor, and... Wayne they fly, they, and they fly back. They fly back to Babylon Five in a spaceship, um, and it, it's just. I think that if they had been able to actually 
commit even more to the mysticism of it um, and, and really just sort of double down on it rather than having um, having basically Sheridan meeting tall Yoda. I think that that possibly would have gone over better. I do like the conceit that the shadows came back to Zahadum because, well, that's where Lorien was. And they were in a twisted way sort of honoring the first one. That's the other thing that I do like about Lorien, that moment when you're one of the first ones. No, I'm the first one. You know, that's I kind of think that that's neat. But I will be watching with you the execution. Mm hmm. And then we, of course, get to see the, uh, the the fallout of this revelation that that the shadows are agents of chaos and the Vorlons are agents of order or lords of order. I think it's how yeah, Justin one puts it. Giant philosophical discussion. Yep. Yeah, playing itself out in a '90s uh, sci-fi TV show, which which is interesting. And I mean, you know, this leads directly to the you know you're both wrong, get the hell out of our galaxy moment, which I am that still I quite love. looking forward to. That I'm mm-hmm. looking forward mm-hmm. to. Yes. Yeah. Um. I had forgotten that we finally get the the thing laid out, and it is rather more truthful uh, than one might expect. That mm-hmm. the uh, and that the when the when the shadows are so pissed off at, at, at the Vorlons, Morden complaining about genetic manipulation and the uh, and the creation of telepaths. Justin describing the Vorlons as space parents, uh, making you clean your room all the time. And it's true. It is, it is. all true. And we're and, and it's not just it's not just the bad guys having a bad perspective on on the good guys. And Lorian's going to lay it right out for Sheridan. And when Sheridan comes back, he is no longer fighting the Shadow War. Mm-hmm. Right. He's just trying to put an end to it, period. Yep. No winners, no losers. Just, just Make stop it. it. End. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, and that's one of the things I I like. I think overall about this part of uh, the Babylon Five story is uh, JMS carefully setting things up to make it look like we have aggressor versus peaceful for all for all this time and then it turns out you know the curtain gets pulled away and it's like no these are just two more powerful things thinking they can make all these decisions for us he's um quoted from the lurker's guide from some of his usenet uh conversations how you know dropping hints that you know yeah once people finally get to the shadows motives some people are going to agree with them and at the time people are just like what no 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 way well actually yeah, there are people who abide by this philosophy that you need conflict, you need um, chaos to strengthen the society. Yeah, you got to have an agent of chaos. Totally. As long as it's not a mad bomber, what bombs at midnight? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is that is very true. And really, you know, this whole shadows versus Vorlons thing and the, the Vorlons uh, trying to be the space parents and keep order and keep secrets and stuff is, I mean, it's... 
on a vaster scale, what we have seen in miniature with Delenn and Kosh uh, and Sheridan leading up to this episode, because he, he's so mad at Delenn for not trusting him to be able to make his own decisions about what to do if, if Anna may or may not be alive. And, you know, he, humanity as a whole is pretty pissed at, you know, both of these sides for not trusting them to make their own way. And, you know, each side thinks that they have the right way to, to raise the younger races and and they don't have the the trust to be able to do what they want to do yeah and and the mimbari more than anybody else have have been mm-hmm. f- have been created by the vorlons to be their public spokespeople for this cycle of the conflict because this has been repeating itself every thousand years or so for god knows how long <laughs> um but you know thanks to you know sinclair you know, they, you know, getting kicked back a, a thousand years um, with the knowledge that he has, which does not go as far as the knowledge we have now um, and makes makes the Membari society, you know, this this it is perfectly distilled in Delenn, this obedience to the Vorlons uh, up until this point. Um, and now she's lost Sheridan because of it. Um, so I'm mm-hmm. trying to remember if she's in on it when they arrange to... Um, to kill uh to kill new vorlon um mm. so that they can uh execute their plan i'm trying to remember if she's brought back in on that or not i think she is but i don't remember surprise uh, yeah <laughs> all right well i mean is there anything else that you guys want to talk about looking looking forward the nexus uh line jumped out at me this time the the, ca- oh, the, the shadow is called- in nexus yeah, the um, the shadows. Justin telling Sheridan, "You're a nexus. Um, that you know the that we can't just kill you because that turns you into a martyr, and somebody else takes your place, and it keeps going. But if we can get you to break apart your little alliance and support us, uh, that our our cause will move forward. Um, that resonated with me because, of course, you know Sheridan is yes pivotal in ending this cycle or, and for all time apparently um, mm-hmm. of the shadows and the Vorlons battling each other. He goes on to be pivotal in the retaking of Earth from President Clark. Gee, it's been a long time since we've <laughs> thought about Earth. Um, you know, more pressing matters. And, of course, later on, he becomes the first president of the Interstellar Alliance and helps usher in a long period of overall peace and prosperity. So that leaped out at me this time, calling Sheridan a nexus, that it's kind of prophetic to the rest of the series. Yeah. Chip, what about you? Got anything else to throw on the table before we wander away? I'd say that this is the last episode of Unrushed Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now JMS seeing the possibility that the primetime entertainment, well, the, almost certainly that the primetime entertainment network is falling a, a, a apart around him. It's like that uh, scene that you see so many gifs of from uh, one of the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies where the uh, British, uh, the British officer is sort of walking dazed through his ship as the cannonballs are tearing through it. Um, JMS finally decides that, you know, it's a five-year show. I may only get four years. Let's try to wrap things up. And so the the Shadow-Vorlon conflict is going to end a couple of episodes earlier than it otherwise would have. We're going to deal with the um, Earth Alliance stuff. You know, 
from this point on, B5 feels a little more compromised to me. Yeah, I think that's fair. A fourth season is stronger than fifth season. I don't think anybody will disagree with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Watch this space in the spoiler threads as people disagree with that. And <laughs> but uh, I, I think I I think I enjoy season four slightly more than season three, just because it moves so it, it moves so crazy. So much happens, but. There are going to be fewer mysteries. There's going to be this 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 march to liberate Earth, and uh, we're not even going to have a proper cliffhanger uh, at the end of season four. We're going to have mm-hmm. uh, we're going to have something something a little weirder. So uh, this feels like <laughs> the end of, and I use the term loosely, pure Babylon Five. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. see that. Well said. Well said. Well, I, I think that's a uh, that's a good place to end. And I would just like to take a moment to recognize how far we have come just as a podcast. You guys, we are roughly three fifths of the way through, you know, barring special event movies, which we'll figure out what to do with later. Uh, and what the hell are we going to do about Crusade? Oy. Yeah, <laughs> but but I think this is, you know, it's quite an accomplishment. So, oh, yeah. I, you know, good. Good job, you guys. Group hug. Group oh, hug. ow. Mm-hmm. So thank you as well to to all of you who have been with us on this journey. I think I speak for all three of us when I say I simply can't wait to dig into season four and continue rolling along, as Chip said, even faster sort of than we have been going before as it as it feels like it speeds up a bit. So do join us in a couple of weeks in real time, possibly less in podcast catch up time when we start season four with the hour of the wolf. Until then, I need to follow Stephen down into that pit because he owes me money. And uh, so, yeah, <laughs> this is Erica in Edmonton, Shannon and Durham, and Chip and Durham. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. It was the year of fire, the year of destruction, the year we took back what was ours. It was the year of rebirth, the year of great sadness, the year of pain. And a year of joy. It was a new age. It was the end of history. It was the year everything changed. The year is 2261. The place, Babylon 5. Babylon 5.